disappointing. All right. I can always tell when it's a good day. So we're glad that you are here today and um, just being a part of worship with us. Uh, we are always excited to be here. And today's a special day because today we get to celebrate uh, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Um, and always a special time that is. I, I talk about it a lot. Um, and we usually make a pretty big deal about it here because it is the one moment where we share in in a physical resemblance of a time with Christ um, because we we are in a way reenacting what Jesus did with his disciples um, just before his arrest and trial and crucifixion and subsequent burial and resurrection and so for us it's a chance for us to kind of be transported back to that moment and 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 we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning we're going to actually participate in the ordinance of the lord's supper some people call it communion um and and in doing that we are going to we're going to celebrate today the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because everything that we do as believers is predicated on the fact that Jesus did live, Jesus did die, Jesus was buried, and He did rise again. If you remove any one of those moments, then it loses its power. If Jesus was never born, then He's just a myth. And therefore, there is no power in that. If Jesus didn't live the life that He claims that He lives, and that Scripture claims that He lived, which was a perfect life, then His sacrifice is, is pointless because the sacrifice had to be uh, blameless. It had to be faultless. It had to be spotless. If He didn't die at the hands of the Romans, at the behest of the Jews, then He failed to live up to prophecy and if he failed to live up to prophecy then he wasn't the messiah and if he didn't rise again then he was powerless and he's not the christ and so if you remove any one of those moments or aspects of his life then jesus loses the 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 identity that we claim that he has which is lord savior christ Right, all of those things. And so they're all kind of predicated on one another. And so the Lord's Supper celebrates those things. It celebrates all of those aspects of who Jesus is. And and historically speaking, it's it's one of the few things that has been carried on from Jesus to today. Much of the pomp and circumstance of the church, much of the things that we do, many of the things that we participate in have been um as good as they are, they've been brought about in modern time or, or, or post-Christ time. But this is one of the few things that actually began and, and with Christ and has continued through that moment. There is a continual, non-stop timeline that we can track from us opening up these uh, containers here and, and participating in the Lord's Supper there is a, a, a literal connection, a timeline, an, an uninterrupted stream of connection between this moment and the moment that Jesus sat with His disciples in the upper room and broke bread and, and drank from the cup. It's a, it's a connected stream of time between us and Jesus. And there's no other ordinance outside of baptism that we can claim that with. It's one of the reasons that baptism and the Lord's Supper hold such a, a position of prominence within the church. Those are the two ordinances that we can connect to Jesus and have carried on since Jesus that we participate in. So there's a there's a, there's a special connection. It's kind of like when you, um, when I go to Washington, D.C., and I get to go to the Capitol building, and we go downstairs into the, the crypt, which is the, the area at the bottom of the Capitol that have the pillars that actually support the dome at the top of that, and there's a, there's a compass point in the middle of it. 
And the compass point is actually worn down because before um, votes or before important presentations, uh, congressmen will come through there and they'll just kind of dip their foot across that compass point. They consider it good luck. And so they'll just kind of rub their foot across that compass point. And so this white compass center is in the middle of this crypt, which, by the way, was where George Washington was supposed to be buried. And then after he died, uh, Martha said, no, we'll just bury him at our home. And so they had to fill that in. So that's the reason the room is called the crypt. And, uh, and so this compass point has this dip in it where, where these congressmen have been rubbing their feet over it for, for decades and decades and decades. And it's the original floor from the Capitol building that's down there. And so we were there one day, and, and I was there with a group of fifth graders, and they had stripped the finish off of the floor, off of this uh, stone floor down in this crypt, and, and, and they had stripped it off, and it was just the, the bare original floor with nothing on it. And so they were having people be very, very careful as they came across it. And I was standing there, and I was overwhelmed in the moment that I was... I was standing on the floor that our founding fathers had built and walked across um, when they were laying the foundations for our, our country. And, and as I was there and the, the person giving the Capitol tour was, was talking, I, I just kind of knelt down and I just kind of touched the floor for a minute. And I just thought, what a unique moment this is. I'm, I'm kind of transported in this moment from where I'm at to where I came from, right? Like in this moment, I, I'm I'm in 2016. I know it's not 2016. That's just when it was. I, I'm kind of transported from 2016 to this moment of 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 the beginning of a government of a of, of a fledgling nation, right? And, and it was just this kind of moment in time. And when we come together and we we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're caught in that that stream of time where it may be 2019, but it may as well be 1919 or 1719, 1319, or even just that moment where Jesus sat in the upper room with a group of His disciples and He drew a, a physical vivid image of what the sacrifice He was about to make would look like. Jesus understood that we're visual learners. Because, I mean, after all, He created us so He knows us inside and out and He knows that we hold, we retain knowledge better when an illustration is given. That's a, a proven fact. And so Jesus, before science realized how the brain works and before science said, you know what, if we can see it, we retain it, at a greater percentage, Jesus said, I know what's going to resonate with you. And so here it is. And He gave this physical demonstration. Um, and so this morning I want to share with you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a passage of Scripture that we've looked at many times with the, uh, with the, with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But I want to read to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. This is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And Beginning with verse 18, he says, First I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent I believe it. But of course there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Himself. On the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then He broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with My blood. Do this to remember Me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord uh, unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. 
That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. So Paul here is giving instruction to the church at Corinth on eating the Lord's Supper. At some point in time, they had changed it from this recognition of Jesus and His sovereignty and His sacrifice, and they had made it about eating a meal. Now, listen, if you've grown up in the Baptist church, you have never confused the Lord's Supper with a meal. Alright? That's never happened. Never have I been to anywhere where someone said, oh good, I am so hungry, I'm glad we're having the Lord's Supper today. Right? Like that is never, as a child, I remember thinking, oh good, we're having the Lord's Supper, we get snack. Right? And so that was like that breaking moment in the service where we got a little snack. But no one is ever confused in the, in the modern Baptist church, the Lord's Supper with a meal. So what that tells me is that this church in Corinth had perverted the Lord's Supper in the first generation. In the first generation, it had stopped being about the recognition of the sovereignty and sacrifice of Jesus and it had become about them. And so it became a potluck. It didn't just become a potluck. It became a potluck with no rules. It was a no-holds-barred potluck. First come, first serve. You get to the front of the line, you get to eat. Women, nope. Seniors, nope. You just fight your way to the front, and you get what you can get. And Paul says, the, the response to that is, is some people are sitting there full, and some people are hungry. Some people are sitting there thirsty and other people are sitting there drunk. Right? What a Lord's Supper. Like, it was a free-for-all, right? It was just like, it was like, I don't know, you know, wing night all of a sudden. It's like, it's all you can eat. We got to get it while it's there and then we got to move on. And Paul was correcting them for this. He said, listen, you have lost the impact of what this is all about. He said, so let me take you back there. It says, on that night, when Jesus was sitting with his disciples, he was illustrating the sacrifice that he would make. And then he says this, so examine yourselves and find yourselves worthy. In other words, you are, you are here. Right? Like, you are so self-absorbed that you are literally fighting each other for dinner. Don't you have a home you can eat dinner in? Eat before you come if you're that hungry. But he says, you're here. You're so self-absorbed. And you're so focused on serving yourself. So you need to examine yourself. And find that you are worthy in this moment of participating in the Lord's Supper. In other words, check yourself. Right? Make sure that you're in a position that you can not only partake in the Lord's Supper, but you can understand what the Lord's Supper is all about in this moment. Because in this moment, it's not about church. And in this moment, it's not about self. In this moment, it's about Christ. And it's about His sacrifice. Right? In this moment, it's about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. It's not about you and what you're doing. It's not about you and what your church is doing. It's not about you and, and, and all of the things that you've participated in. It's about the one thing that Jesus did for you that you couldn't do for yourself. So you need to examine yourself. You need to check yourself. Make sure that you're in a position to do this. In other words, don't take it if you're angry. Don't take it if you're 
bitter. Don't take it if you're embroiled in, in, in a sin battle in your own life. Don't take it if you're, if you're in any of these positions that are causing you to be, you know, to be, uh, 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 dis, disappointed or disgruntled in God, but find yourself and know that your relationship with Christ is right before you participate. So he tells us to take an introspective look at ourselves. And so this morning, I, I would say the same thing to you. In just a moment, we're going to, we're going to participate in, in the Lord's Supper. And as you all know, if you're here regularly on the Lord's Supper, we, we change up how we do it. We, we don't always do it the same. We don't always bring it to you. We don't always use deacons. Sometimes we, we serve ourselves. Sometimes our deacons serve us. Sometimes I serve you. We, we just kind of change it each time depending on um, kind of the, the direction that we're going and the, and the way that God is leading us. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. As a matter of fact, I think it helps us remain focused on the purpose and the point. It's not just a ritual that we participate in. It's not just something that we do, but instead we remain focused on in this morning. Before we participate in this, I would ask you to do the same thing that Paul asked the church at Corinth to do. I would ask you just to examine yourself for a moment. Where do you stand in your relationship with Jesus right now? Where do you stand with, with all of the things that are going on in your life? Are, are you embroiled in things in your life that are causing a, a, a difficulty, a, 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 a barrier between you and God? Is there a ceiling between you and, and Him? That's not the way He means for it to be. It's never on His doing. Christ is never involved in anything that would cause separation from you. We are involved in things that cause separation from God. Christ left heaven to sacrifice Himself for us. He never is involved in anything that, that causes separation from us. Instead, because of His perfect nature, and His perfect love, and His position of sacrifice, we involve ourselves in things that separate us from Him. And so this morning, I would ask you just to take a moment and to examine yourself. And as we start to do that, Jewel is going to step over and she's going to begin to, to play. And I'm going to ask you just to, to take a moment and look at your life. Take an introspective look inside. Where are you at in your relationship with Jesus? Where, where are you at with Him? Is He an active part of your life? Or are you just simply going through the moments? Do you just show up to church because that's what's expected of you? Do you spend time with Him on a daily basis? Is your attitude one that reflects that of the attitude of Jesus? Are you... Are you living for Him? Are you embroiled in an argument with Him? Maybe you're in a battle with Jesus right now. Maybe Jesus wants one thing for your life and you want another. And so you're in a daily struggle with Him. You know it. You may not admit it. You may not want to accept it. You may not want to, you may not want to realize it because it means that maybe you have to give up some things in your life. But it's there. You know it's there. Maybe it's just that you're not giving Him the time you should give Him. Maybe life's just busy. And so He's the thing that you push to the back burner. Not our families, we don't push them to the back burner. Not our jobs, we don't push it to the back burner. Not our television, we don't push it to the back burner. Not our sports, we don't push it to the back burner. Not our friendships, we don't push those to the back burner. But Jesus, we can push Him to the back burner. It's easy. So you're just going to reflect and when you feel that you're in a position, when you feel that you have said to God, God, we're good. Right? Like I'm in a place where I'm loving you and I'm worshiping you and I'm celebrating you and I want to participate in this. Then I'm just going to ask you to make your way down and grab each of the components here. And if you're in that struggle, 
You don't have to make it all right in this moment, but you have to recognize it. And you have to say, God, I understand. I get it. There are things in my life that are causing separation between you and me. And God, I don't want those things in my life. I want to be close to you, God. I want to have relationship with you. And so Jesus, today I make that commitment that I'm going to start moving those things out of my life. I'm going to start making things right in my relationship with you. And when you've come to terms with that, then I'm going to ask you then to make your way down. You're just going to take these things back to your seat and you're going to hold them. We're going to participate together. That's one thing that Paul talks about is that these things are done together as a church. He says when you gather as the church, we're gathered here today as the church. So we're going to take just a moment and when you decide that you're ready, then you're just going to make your way down and say, Todd, this is really kind of awkward. Um, it's really kind of awkward when Jesus called Judas out in the middle of the crowd. He said, the one who dips in this cup with me, he'll, he's going to betray me. It was kind of awkward when the disciples began to bicker among each other and Jesus called them out. There are moments in our relationship with Jesus where it's called for things to be difficult or awkward or tough. Relationship requires sacrifice. And so this morning, as you reflect, when you're ready, you make your way down and you grab the bread and the juice, make your way back to your seat, hold on to them, and then we will participate together.
Self-examination when it comes to our relationship with Christ is difficult because it's often counterintuitive to how we live our life because our relationship with Christ and our self-examination in that requires us to realize that our life in Christ is not about us. And everything in us tells us that life is about us. Our pleasure, our gratification, our success, our happiness. These are the things that we believe to be our inherent rights. But yet, what we inherit through a relationship with Christ is based on Him and what He brings to the table, not what we bring to the table. So we self-examine and we determine the prominent place that Christ holds in our life Many times we realize that He doesn't hold the place that He deserves. Why does He deserve the place in our life that we should give Him? Because on the night that we celebrate through this ordinance, Jesus took a piece of bread and He began to break it. And as He broke it, not speaking to any one particular disciple, but to all disciples present, He broke that bread and He then looked around the room and he said, this is my body which will be broken for you. When you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And then after that, Jesus took a cup of wine and he said, this, this is a new covenant. A new covenant between God and, and all people. And it's sealed with, with the blood of Christ. Jesus was saying this is representative of the covenant that I am and that that covenant will be sealed forever with the bloodletting of the Christ Son. He said when you participate in this, do so in remembrance of Me. And in that moment, Jesus demonstrated what was about to happen. And while it seems tragic that Jesus would have to forecast His own death, it is the most monumental and most victorious moment in the life of any believer. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we just love You. We thank You for Your sacrifice. We thank You for You giving of something that only You had to give. Jesus, nobody else could give it. Nobody else could do it. Nobody else could go there. But You did it. Jesus, You did it for us. We didn't ask You to, Jesus. We didn't know that we needed to ask You. Lord, we were happy with the system of continually needing to offer sacrifice. We didn't know that there was a better way. We didn't know that there was a more perfect way. But then, Jesus, You came. <laughs> and You demonstrated to us that God had a perfect plan. And that perfect plan included all of us. But that perfect plan, Lord, included a great sacrifice on Your part. And You gave it. You gave it for us. And we are thankful for that sacrifice. We are thankful for that gift. And we love You for it, Jesus. Thank You for loving us. In Your name we pray. Amen. You know, the uh, <clears throat> Lord's Supper has often been not just one of the most celebrated ordinances in the church and its history. It's also been one of the most controversial ordinances in the church and its history. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, early on, it was preached so vehemently and with such passion and with such fervor, this idea of the Lord's Supper, this idea of communion, the broken body of Jesus and the spilt blood of the, of the sacrificial lamb, that it was actually believed by many authorities to be a cannibalistic um, 
uh, sacrifice on the part of the church. That they literally were eating flesh and drinking blood. It was, it was almost outlawed at one point. The Catholic Church would continue that thought process on as they believed that <coughs> the sacrament of the wafer literally became the body of Jesus. And that the wine served in the cup literally became the blood of Jesus every time that they participated in it. They, they believe that, that, that this idea of the sacrifice of Jesus is relived, it's redone, that the atonement of Christ is rehashed out every time they participated in communion. The only problem with that is, is that Scripture teaches us that the sacrifice of Christ was only necessary, only needed once. There was no reason for it to be rehashed or, or, or reoriented. And what we find is that the tie in the, in the Catholic Church to the church and to government was so great that any fear of deviation from the, the uh, ritual and, 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 and routine of the church would eventually cause the decay and the fall of the government. And so they wanted something that was very ritualistic to keep government ties in control. The, 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 the Catholic Church and the, and, and, and the government there were so intertwined that it was, it was almost hard to, to determine what aspect of what belonged to the church and what aspect belonged to the government. But one thing that we find throughout history is that every time the Lord's Supper was taken, it was, a, it was taken in, in essence of worship. Right? It was, this is not just something that we do, but it's an opportunity for us to worship Christ. It's an opportunity for us to worship God. And so over the next few minutes as we, as we close out this morning, I just want to give you two ways that when you come together and you, and you participate in the Lord's Supper, two ways that you have the opportunity to worship Jesus, that you have the opportunity to worship Christ and, and, and His sacrifice. Again, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see the, uh, the implication that we come together as a church. We, we see there in, in, in verse um, uh, uh, I believe it's right around verse 20 in, in chapter 11 that, that Paul says, when you come together as a church, like when you, when you arrive together as a church. Now, now what, is the, what is the thought process when we hear the word church? What are a couple of things that you, that you think of when you hear the word church? This is the interactive portion of the message, so feel free to pop something out at me. I say the word church, and you think of worship. Somebody said it, and you're like, it's worship. Thanks, Jordan. Body of believers. What else? Bride of Christ, yeah. What else? There are certain things that we think of when we when we hear the word church, right? And for many people, they think of of the idea of music and preaching, right? which which we would call Jeff and I would call worship, right? Like we would say that is is worship. We worship through singing. We, we sing songs. We don't sing them to hear ourselves sing. Some of us don't like to hear ourselves sing. Some of us don't like to hear you sing. Some of us don't like to hear, you know, we just, it's not about singing, right? It's not about the vocal performance of, of singing. Now, we like to hear good singers on stage, right? We don't, when we're, when you're when a church is hiring someone to lead worship, they're typically looking for someone who can carry a tune in a bucket, right? Like they're not like, oh, you've got a great heart, you can't sing at all, you're perfect, right? Because because they want to put out a, a, a they want someone who knows what they're doing, they want someone who understands music, they want someone who puts on a a, a good face for the church and the congregation when people come in. But but we it's it's not about the singing though is the thing. And some of us, we just refuse to sing when it comes to worship. We're like, I don't sing, like, I don't have a good voice, or it's, I'm too manly, or, you know, I don't know the songs, or anything like that. But, you know, it really isn't 
reflective of that. The, the idea of worship is, is the idea of us taking the words and applying them to our heart in a conversation to Jesus. So when we refuse to worship, we're, we're not sticking it to the worship pastor, right? We're not like, oh, you pick terrible songs. I'm not going to sing. Or, you know, those songs are too fast. or Those songs are too slow. Or I don't like to sing. Or we're not sticking it to the people around us or to the worship pastor, or to the choir, or to the, you know, anything like that. We're, we're really saying, you know what, God, it's just not that important for me to get out of my comfort zone to have a conversation with you. It's just not that big of a deal to me. And in preaching, we go, oh, well, that's great. That's teaching time. I've been to school my whole life. I know what it's like when somebody gets up in front of me to teach. And, and that's not what preaching is about. Preaching is about uh, taking the Word of God and breaking it down into moments of understanding so that we can connect with God in that moment. Right? Not, I'm not listening to a lecture. I'm not listening to, to a sermon. I'm, I'm participating in a sermon. Right? I'm, I'm gaining understanding, and in that understanding, I'm opening a dialogue with God in that moment, and I'm worshiping. Right? Like that's the point and purpose of the message. And so we would say worship, and the Lord's Supper is an extension of that worship because when it says, when Paul says, when you come together as a church, and then he begins to talk about the Lord's Supper, what he's referring to is the worship of the Lord's Supper. Not worshiping the Lord's Supper, but the worship of or the worship involved in the Lord's Supper. And so this morning in this text, we see a couple of things um, where we can specifically express the value of Christ in the Lord's Supper. And there's two areas that I'm going to share with you quickly this morning um, that, we can, that we can express the value of Christ through worship in the Lord's Supper. And the first is this. The first aspect of worship in the Lord's Supper is the aspect of remembering Right? The idea of remembering, the aspect of remembering. Paul talks about this um, in, the Lord's, in the Lord's Supper. He uses the word remember or remembrance, um, depending on what uh, translation you're reading, twice, once in relation to the bread in verse 24, and once in relation to the, uh, to the wine or to the cup in verse 25. He says, when you eat this bread, do so, do, do so remember me when you do it, right? In the same way, when you take of this new covenant, the wine and the cup, then do it in, in remember me, like in, in, in remembrance of me. Paul gives words of the Lord on the institution of the Lord's Supper. He says, for I receive from the Lord that which I'm giving to you. Like, right, like this is what God told me, and now I'm telling you this. In other words, we are doing so in, in reverent remembrance. There are moments of worship in our life that aren't just based around Christ. We have moments of reverent remembrance, which are a, a, a moment of worship in our life. There is, uh, if you go to Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C., I will, I will go back to Washington. If you go to Arlington National Cemetery and you make the trek up the hill to the tomb of the unknown soldier, where that soldier who is part of a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day process, is taking his 21 steps across in front of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, taking his 21-second pause, turning, taking his 21-second pause, and then his 21 steps, right? And they ask you not to speak, and they ask you not to have your phones, and they ask you to remove your caps, and they ask you to be very reverent. There are moments of reverent remembrance that are going on in that place. And in the same way, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, it is a reverent remembrance of who Christ is and what He did for us. In other words, Christ gave us this simple Lord's Supper to help us keep Him in our memory. He didn't make it complicated. It's not a long, drawn-out process. Jesus said, here's bread. Boom, that's my body. Here's a cup of wine. Boom, that's my blood. Simple, right? That's what's going to happen to me. Let's all take that in. Now, you don't have to make it complicated. Just remember me. It wasn't that Jesus was afraid that we were going to forget Him. Have you ever had that thought in your life? What's going to happen after I'm gone? Is anybody even going to remember that I was here? Right? Did I, have I made a mark? Have I made an impact? Have I, Jesus wasn't worried that we were going to forget Him. Jesus knew His place in history. 
He knew who he was. He knew he was the Christ child. He knew that he was the perfect son of God and that his sacrifice would long be remembered by people. But Jesus was saying this, when you do this, focus on me. Focus on what I did for you. Not so that you look and go, oh, God is so great because God is so great. But so that you become so thankful for the fact that Jesus did something that we couldn't do for ourselves, that we are compelled to not only worship Him, but to live for Him. And so the aspect of remembering is present in the Lord's Supper, but also the second aspect of worship in it is the idea of proclaiming, right? Proclamation of who Jesus is. In verse 26, Paul says, For when you drink, or as often as you drink, or whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, then you what you proclaim the death of Christ until He comes again. When you do this, you are proclaiming the death of Christ. Did you know that when we take this, and we take this, and we eat it, and we drink it, we're not just doing it because the pastor said, it's time to eat and drink, which is basically what we say when we say, take this, eat, and remember me. And we drink this in remembrance of me. We are proclaiming to the people around us that we believe that statement. That we believe that these things are representative of the body and the blood of Christ. And that when Christ died for us, He rose from the dead. And that if we believe that, He will come into our life. He will save us. He will change us. He will mark us as different. And we will live forever with Him in eternity. And so we're proclaiming to everyone around us, I believe this. Whether they're believer or non-believer, we're proclaiming, we're making a proclamation that Jesus is the perfect Son of God. And that He died on a cross for us. And that He did so so that we could have eternity with Him. But not just eternity with Him, but hope in Him now in this life. Because this life is tough. And this life is difficult. And this life is hard. And we lose people, and we lose things, and we lose health, and we lose jobs, and we lose opportunities, and we lose time, and we lose family, and we lose friends. And this life is difficult, and it's hard. And Jesus says, I come to bring you hope, right? I come to bring you abundant life. What does abundant life mean? It means hope in life, the ability to persevere through life, right? It doesn't mean, you know, just... Uh, windfalls of cash. It doesn't mean stacks of gold. It doesn't mean super nice cars. It doesn't mean huge houses. For some people it does. Like there are believers out there that have everything that life could possibly offer them, but there are just as many people going to hell that have those things. So our relationship with Christ doesn't impact our earning ability. But what it does is it gives us hope. Abundant life is hope. Hope of perseverance. Hope of never being alone. Hope of of making it through in those moments that seem so difficult. And when when we participate in this, our act of worship is an act of proclamation to the people around us that we believe that. That we trust that. That we hold true to that. That we hold fast to that. You see, there's so much more to this process than just simply a break from the routine than just simply fulfilling a once a quarter requirement on our calendar. Than simply a, a snack in the middle of worship. It's much more than that. It's not just remembering Jesus, which is very much an act of worship. Like when we focus, when we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, we can't help but be but be compelled to a state of or a position of of, of thankfulness. And therefore, worshiping Him. But at the same time, we have the opportunity by partaking, by participating in proclaiming to those around us, I believe this. I believe that Jesus was perfect. I believe that Jesus lived. I believe that Jesus died. I believe that Jesus rose again. I believe the the four areas of Jesus' life that make Him the Christ. That make His sacrifice Everything to me. So we are proclaiming in that moment two real, very relevant aspects of worship. The the preciousness of Christ presses itself on our memory 
And then when we recall that and we remember it, then it breaks us out into proclamation. And like remembering is internal. I, I remember by processing internally. But then that remembrance fills me to such a point that I proclaim externally what Christ has done for me. And so the Lord's Supper, I just want us to remember that any time that we participate in the Lord's Supper, it is, a, it is not just a routine, but it is an act of worship for us all to participate in. So I hope that today it's been a, a special moment for you in your relationship with Christ. Right now I'm going to ask everyone just to bow your heads and close your eyes. and We're going to pray for just a moment. Jeff's going to come and, and he's going to lead us in a, in a song of invitation. And, and I debated whether or not this morning we would just simply sing a hymn and walk out. As Scripture says that the disciples did. It said after they did this, they sang. And they went their way. And I, I, I debated as to whether or not we would do that today or not. But I feel that if we talk about the prominence of the sacrifice of Jesus, we have to give an opportunity for response to His goodness. So this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to have this conversation with God. Jesus, You know our hearts. Lord, You know where we're at. You know what we're dealing with. You know what we're struggling with. And God, You know what we're celebrating and You know where our victories lie. So Jesus, this morning we just come to You and we pray that You would take our hearts and You would communicate to them right now. And Jesus, if we are struggling in our relationship with You, that You would... You would help us to make that right right now. God, whether it's beginning a relationship with You by accepting Your sacrifice and asking You to forgive us of our sins. Lord, whether it's renewing our relationship with You because we've let it fall away. and God, other things have become more important to us and You are no longer primary in our life, but You're secondary or maybe even further down the line than that, Jesus. Or whether it's through trusting You right now in a moment that we aren't trusting You. We're only trusting ourselves. Jesus, whatever it may be, in this time of response, if You're speaking to hearts, give us the strength and the courage to respond to You. So Jesus, we ask all this in Your precious and holy name. Amen. Right now I'm going to ask you just to stand to your feet. and Jeff's going to